thank you for coming out. I know that not all the roads were as passable as we'd like them to be, but we're glad you're here this morning to worship the Lord. Whenever it snows and people have to go to church or try to go to church, I'm always reminded of many, many years ago, my father was preaching a revival meeting in Lake Tahoe, California. And that day, it snowed six feet. And so the preacher said to my dad, do you think we should even try to get to the church? Do you think anybody will come? And dad said, well, you know what? We don't know, so let's go. So they snowshoed to the church. When they got there, 12 people had showed up. And so it made a total of 14. And that night, seven of the people gave their hearts to Christ. And there was, my dad said, a saved person to help lead each unsaved person to Christ. So it was really kind of neat. So you just never know what God's going to do with his weather. So we're glad you're here to share in the word of God and the praise and gifts and prayers today. It's a blessing to be together. We're going to focus today on the life of Lot. He was the nephew of Abraham, an interesting figure in the scriptures with a lot of lessons for us. And as Jerry said, choice does matter. So let's look first at 2 Peter in chapter 2. And I'll begin reading in verse 5. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its, on, on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what? I'm sorry. I'm going to have to turn and read the screen. <laughs> they want us to start reading here, and it's not big enough for me, so I apologize, okay? Blind as a bat. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. For that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from triumphs and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment. Now we go back to the book of Genesis where we're first introduced to Lot. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, he was actually Abraham's nephew. Abram's, Abraham's still known as Abram at this time. Also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between, between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zoar, 
This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. So just in case you're wondering, Hebron is a Bible name. As I studied on Lot, these were some of my initial impressions. I'm a lot like Lot, a lot. Secondly, in the scope of Scripture, some people of faith come across as stronger spiritually and some weaker. When I think of Lot and I think of myself, I think of the Sunday school song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. And as I think of Lot, I think of a sermon that my father has preached over the years about Lot and his family living near Sodom. And in the sermon, Dad points out that Lot had what we might call a, a second-hand spirituality, in the sense that Abraham walked with God, and Lot walked with Abraham. And you know, some of us have experienced that, where when we're around a mature believer, or when we are in a very spiritual environment, like a church service, or a Christian camp, or a mission ministry, or something where spirituality is intense, it's rather easy for us to be spiritual as well. But then when we get away from those spiritually mature people and we get away from those spiritually intense situations, we find ourselves sometimes headed downward spiritually. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. I really had expected to be wearing my Denver Broncos jersey, eating wings, and drinking Orange Crush. Or it would have been nice to at least worn a Steelers t-shirt, had a Rocco's pizza, and Turner's black and gold tea and lemonade mix. But instead, it's two teams whose names I will not even mention. <laughs> Interestingly, at the end of the game tonight, there will be a victor. But whoever that victor is, though they are the Super Bowl champ, did you know that along the season, they've suffered some defeats? And that's, in a sense, the microcosm of the Christian life and of spiritual warfare. That along the line, spiritually, we may lose some battles, but thankfully, in the end, Jesus wins the war.
As we look at Lot, we see someone who the Bible says is righteous. And that's important for us to remember. Three times Peter identifies him as righteous. And it's the very same word that he uses in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12 when he says the Lord's eyes are upon the righteous, but his face is against the wicked and the ungodly. And in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 18, where Peter writes, if the righteous scarcely be saved, what will happen to the ungodly and the sinner? And so Peter looks at the righteous as being on the side of the Lord and saved by the Lord, and then he identifies with the same word, Lot, three times, is righteous. And yet before us in Genesis is Lot making a choice that proves Scotland's costly. We might even label a spiritual defeat. And hopefully we can learn from him today. First of all, there is the choice. And in the scriptures, the Bible says that Abraham and his nephew Lot have gathered such large flocks and herds that their herdsmen and shepherds have begun to fight over the water and over the pasture land. There's just not enough room. And so Abraham says, Lot, you choose one direction, and I'll go the other. And the Bible tells us that Lot lifted up his eyes. He looks, and he sees the plain of the Jordan. It's well watered. It's like the Garden of Eden. It's gorgeous and flush. And Lot says, I'll go that way. And so Abram goes the other toward the more barren lands of Canaan. There are some concerns about Lot's choice. The first one is what I might call consideration. You know, it would seem that Lot might have in turn said, Uncle Abraham, you fathered me since my dad died. Because the Bible tells us Abraham's brother, Lot's father, had already passed. And Uncle Abraham, I respect you spiritually and in your maturity and your age. You choose first. But the Bible says that Lot chose for himself. And it may be that this was a selfish decision, not considering Abraham first, and not considering consequences to his family in his choice. The second concern could be cash. It says he sees the well-watered plain. He is an agricultural guy. He's raising herds and flocks. I mean, boy, lots of water, lots of grass. He's going to grow cattle and sheep and so on that are big and fat. They'll go to market, and there's lots of money there. Lot has yet to learn that, as we know, all that glitters is not gold. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, and most of us know the first part of the verse, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. But the second part of the verse says, and by that love for money, some people have departed from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many griefs. You can't always base a decision on money alone or the personal gain to yourself. You have to sometimes look at the bigger picture. And then there could be the concern of caution. 
You see, the Bible tells us when Lot heads down in that area that he pitches his tent near Sodom. And the Bible will tell us that Sodom was a place where the people sinned against the Lord greatly. Now, it must have been bad because there were sinners all over the earth. But it says in this locale, they are sinning against the Lord greatly. And Lot does not use caution, perhaps in the environment where he places his family and the place where he chooses to dwell. You know, the Bible teaches us regarding spiritual warfare and in our choices to be alert. Ephesians 6, verse 18, be alert and pray. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, be self-controlled and alert, for the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Ephesians 4 and verse 27, do not give the devil a foothold. But in this case, perhaps Lot throws caution to the wind. And so that's his choice, to move where he can prosper, but perhaps be in grave spiritual and moral danger. And what is the culture? The Bible says that the men of Sodom sinned greatly before the Lord. You know, people read about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, say, how can a, a God come, you know, a God of love come down and just blow these cities away? Well, I hope you read the whole story. The Bible tells us that the cry against Sodom had come up to heaven. It was so bad. Apparently, many had been abused and grieved and harmed and hurt by what was happening there. God had heard that. Secondly, the Bible tells us, as Doug alluded to last week, the Lord came down. He said, I'm going to go down, and I'm going to make sure before I destroy it that it's really that bad. Now the Lord knows, but He's illustrating to us His justice. And of course, so He sends the two angels into the city of Sodom. Now the Bible tells us by this time in Genesis 19 that Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom. Typically in that time, to sit in the gate means you had become a leader in the community. So probably as a prosperous businessman, as a guy who treated folks decently and was perhaps even well-liked, he's become a leader. He's sitting in the gate. These two angels come in, and apparently Lot in some way recognizes something unique about them. He invites them into his home. The Bible says he bakes them bread without yeast. In other words, he wants it cooked quickly. He wants to feed them and get them on their way because he doesn't want them harmed. And yet it isn't long in that night that men of Sodom, young and old, are beating on the door of Lot's house saying, bring those two visitors out. We want to sexually abuse them in gang style. Lot comes out. He pleads with the men of Sodom, don't do this. Sadly, in that exchange, we see one of the spirals downward for Lot. He says, take my two daughters instead. They say, wait a minute. All of a sudden, this respected leader in the community when he challenges these folks of Sodom about their behavior, 
The Bible tells us all of a sudden he turns from being a respected leader that everybody likes to they say to him in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 9. Who made you a judge over us? You're an outsider. You're a stranger. You came into this land and now you're going to judge us. We're going to deal with you worse than we would have dealt with those fellows inside. Do you see it, folks? When he challenges the sinful behavior of the world, whether it was their sexuality or their brutality or their lack of hospitality, the Bible says they turn on him. And they say, you're an outsider. You're judgmental. And now we're going to attack you. And the lesson is learned again. When a believer chooses the worldly choices, they find in the end, the world is no friend of God. In fact, the Bible says in James 4 and verse 4, to side with the world is to be at enmity or the enemy of God. It is spiritual warfare. And here's Lot trying to get along with everybody and not troubling anybody. And he's liked by everybody until he takes a stand against their sinful behavior. Then all of a sudden he's an outsider. He is judgmental. And they're going to attack him as well. The consternation. Back in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 8, the Bible tells us that Lot in his righteous soul is tormented and disturbed daily by the lawless ungodliness that he sees going on in this community all around him. It says he's tormented in his righteous soul. Lot had gained prosperity. Lot had gained a place of recognition, but he's not happy. And as a believer, you will find sooner or later, you may choose the things you think will make you happy in this world, but sooner or later, though you may have gained it all, you'll find it doesn't satisfy. Furthermore, <clears throat> Lot had in a sense sunk himself into that community and was paying the price of having to put up with the garbage going on day after day after day. I like the way the King James says that it vexed him in his soul. You know, sometimes your choices matter. Some of us live daily with the sad consequences of choices we wish we had not made. And so again, it's a reminder to make biblically wise and healthy choices because the consequences will stay with you either way. And then I see the cynicism in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 19. The Bible tells us that after the angels tell Lot, Lot, they shut the door, they cause these men who are trying to attack them to go blind. And then they said, get your family out of this city. God is going to destroy it. If you've got anybody in this city that you're connected with or care about, go tell them. Get out. So the Bible tells us in verse 19 that Lot goes to his sons-in-law that are pledged to be married to his two daughters. And he says to them, get out because the Lord is going to destroy the city. And the Bible says his sons-in-law to be thought he was joking. 
Now, it may have been pure unbelief. Maybe they didn't believe in the Lord. Maybe they didn't believe in judgment. There are folks like that. I've preached to them. I've witnessed to them. They said, I don't believe that garbage. I don't believe there's a hell. I don't believe God judge anybody. I'm not even sure there's a God. I believe you can get to heaven any way you want to. They just don't believe. I remember years ago, my dad was preaching, and he was preaching out on the public steps of the, the steps of the public uh, uh, city hall there in Denver, Colorado. And he was preaching away, and a fellow yelled out a heckler and said, I don't believe! My dad said, that's all right. The Bible says those who don't believe are damned. Oh, he said, hold on a minute there. But that's what the Bible says in Mark 16, 15. The Bible says in Revelation 21 and verse 8 that part of the group of people that are going to the lake of fire are the unbelievers, people who just, they just don't believe. I don't know if these fellows just didn't believe. Or I don't know if it was a matter of cynicism when Lot came and said, guys, the Lord's going to destroy the city. And it's almost like they said, now wait a minute, Lot. You've made your money here. You've become a leader here. You've involved your family here. In fact, we're going to marry your daughters. And all of a sudden, you're going to tell us that the Lord's going to destroy here? Lot, here is where you are. What do you mean the Lord's going to destroy? You know, sometimes our choices can hinder our testimony so that what we've done speaks much louder than what we're trying to say. It reminded me of years ago when I was a teen in a youth group. Attended a Christian high school, and you would have thought I would have known better, but I've always liked to have fun. And when I was a teen, particularly, I liked to tease a lot, joke a lot, play some pranks. Unfortunately, I went to school with a young man from 7th through 12th grade together, and we were in a small school, so everybody knew everybody. But he was the kind of young man, just with coordination and so on, that some of us, particularly myself, found easy to pick on. Easy to make the butt of jokes and pranks. He and I ended up going to the same college. And one day I heard that his dad had died. A little older, hopefully a little smarter at that point. I felt bad. I can never forget going into the vestibule of the administration building of the school where we were attending and seeing him. And I went up to him and I said, hey, Steve, man, I, I, I'm sorry about your dad. And you know, after years of making him the butt of jokes, he looked at me and said, yeah, right, and turned and walked out. You know, I've never forgotten that. And I've got to caution all of us, including myself, when we use humor, try not to use it at the expense of others. You see, what I had done spoke much louder than what I was trying to say. Sometimes our choices toward worldly things will harm the witness we're trying to speak. And then in conclusion, thank God, there's the consolation. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly out of their trials. And you see, it even uses Lot as an example of God rescuing a godly man from the judgment to come. And you know, it says to me that even in our spiritual defeats and in our struggles, 
our God is still there for us. And number two, it is a reminder that there is coming a judgment. And through Christ alone, no merit of our own. You look at Rot and say, righteous? I don't think so. But God saw him as righteous and God delivered him. And the only hope I have and you have of escaping hell and the judgment to come is through the righteousness of Christ Jesus that is imputed to us, Romans 4. See, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10, Jesus, who saves us from the coming wrath. And then I see a further consolation. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 2 that when the Israelites have left Egypt in the Exodus and are coming into their land promised to them, God said, I want you to leave that land over there to the Moabites, and the land over there to the Ammonites because they are the children of Lot. You know, it's astounding because after Lot escapes Sodom, and his wife, of course, becomes the pillar of salt, and Jesus even has a short sermon, remember Lot's wife. But the Bible tells us that Lot and his two daughters escape into a cave. The daughters eventually figure there are no living men around. How are they going to keep the seed and the family going? They get their father drunk and are impregnated by him. Two little boys are born, Moab and Ben-Ammi. They become the father of the nations of Moab and Ammon, often at odds with Israel, often a thorn in Israel's side. And yet amazingly, as you read your Bible, you come to a little book in the Bible called Ruth. And Ruth, chapter 2, verse 19, is Ruth the Moabitess. She's a descendant of Lot, of the nation of Moab. And yet amazingly, God gives her a book in the Bible with her own name, and she becomes the great-grandmother of the psalmist, the man after God's own heart, David. And you want to get it more amazing than that? You go to Matthew chapter 1, and you find that Ruth is in the ancestry of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in a sense, not only is our Savior a descendant of Abraham, he's a descendant of Lot as well. Through Ruth, the Moabitess, the great-grandmother of David. God's consolation. What can we take home today? Number one, our choices matter. So when you begin to make your choices of impact in relationships and opportunities, May I say to you, number one, consider you will affect more than just yourself. Number two, it's not just about the money or whatever that desire is that you want. Look at the whole picture. And number three, don't throw caution to the wind. Say, is there spiritual benefit? Is there glory to God in this thing? Or am I putting myself into a point or a zone of spiritual danger or harm where my testimony could be heard or I could fall into temptation? Number two, remember that God is able to bring victory out of defeat. The scriptures are filled with people who suffered spiritual defeat in the warfare. And I'm sure at that point Satan licked his chops, if I can say it that way. 
And yet in the end, God brings them to victory. And oh, number three, by the way, it seems like when you read Lot choosing the well-watered plain that Abram gets the short end of the stick because he goes to the barren lands and plains of Mamre. And yet what does God say? Abram, you walk as far north and south and east and west as you can. It's all yours. I'm going to give you descendants to fill up this whole area. And the Bible says Abram built an altar to the Lord. You know, sometimes, the worldly choice, worldly choice is more appealing to us than the spiritual choice. But in the end, the spiritual choice is the better one. You may find yourself a lot, like Lot, a lot. But remember, we have the opportunity in the end to win because it's not our righteousness. But the Bible says in Romans 5 and verse 17, we have God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness through one man, Jesus Christ. And don't forget, as Doug pointed out last week, our God is relentless toward his own. And in the end, as he delivered Lot, he'll deliver us. Amen.